You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Uh, thank you, guys. And again, just to echo what Michael said, great to have you in. You're so welcome. And I know that there, there was a weather warning, an orange weather warning being given out, but... Um, Sometimes these things are hyped up a bit. I don't know that uh, there was that much damage. However, a lot of people are afraid to go out when there's a warning like that. So respect everyone. So how about you give one another a round of applause? Well done for not being too afraid. Obviously, when it's a red weather warning, you can't go out. But I do wonder sometimes about the scripture in the book of Proverbs that talks about the man who says, I can't go to work, I can't go out in the street, there might be a lion on the street, I'm staying at home. And sometimes we can fall into that trap. So anyway, praise God, uh, the weather is improving and it's good to be together here in church. I'm going to be talking today about the favour of God and I'm going to be looking at a girl who was a beauty queen of sorts. And I'm talking, of course, of Esther. Some of you will know this story well, and for others, this is all new. But this is about a girl who was trafficked. And we hear a lot about trafficking. I was reading that there are quite a number of young women in Cork who have been trafficked here into the sex trade. And there are men who are trafficked into working in slave-like conditions, But I want to look at even though someone is trafficked, even though someone finds themselves in a terrible situation, if the favor of God breaks into their lives, breaks into your life, things really change. Now, Michael briefly touched on the favor of God a couple of weeks ago um, on a Tuesday night when he was talking about Daniel. Brilliant study. And the strange thing is, a couple of weeks before that, I had started work on this study. And the Bible tells us that every word of God will be confirmed by two or more witnesses. So if you have two or more people who are bringing a word that is different but connected, the scripture then says, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit is saying this to you and to me at this time So I'd encourage you, if you are a little tired and some of you were working throughout the night and you still came to church, respect for you, amen? Amen. Janie, you're a tough lot. They were working all night and then they came to church today. I say respect to them. Will anyone say amen? amen? Praise God. So even if you are tired, try and follow what we're saying. I'm not going to keep you too long, but it is important. And I pray, Holy Spirit, fall afresh in us today. Let your word come alive. Encourage us, challenge us, console us, and inform us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Just before I start... um, I did have a sense from God very strongly that someone walked into this meeting and they walked in under a cloud, but I saw the Holy Spirit being poured out on them. They came in dry, but they left drenched. Now, you might have come in wet and know you're dry, but I'm speaking spiritually here. And I know the Holy Spirit has asked me to pray for someone who 
for the first time you're going to speak in tongues here today. And if not the first time, maybe you haven't prayed in uh, heavenly language or in the language of men and of angels in a long time. God is going to refresh you. So I know I'm to pray for that today. So if you're someone and you've never had this experience where you have prayed in a language that is not your own, you might speak many languages, but you won't understand this because it's spirit sent. God wants to anoint you today and he wants you to pray in tongues and speak in tongues. So I'm going to pray and do a call at the end of this message for that, but I'm just going to park it there. Maybe sow a little seed of faith and encourage or challenge you. Maybe that person is you because you haven't prayed in tongues in a while. or Maybe you never have. If you love Jesus, it's his will. All may pray in tongues. Amen. That's what the Bible says. It's for everyone. I'm kind of going slightly um, bouncing off that. And so we're going to look at the favor of God. I want to welcome Cafe Church who are watching downstairs on live stream. Good to have you with us, guys. God bless you. So Esther, let's just put a little bit of um, context here. I was speaking about people who are trafficked. And we were, I was talking to you about people who are trafficked today. It's a huge crime all over the world. But when you go thousands of years ago, even a long time before Jesus Christ, people were trafficked then as well. It's a modern word for an ancient curse. Is there anything new under the sun? No, there's not. Human beings are the same in every culture, in every generation, the same issues The same sins, the same crimes are repeated again and again and again, no matter how far back we go. So we're going to look at the victim of trafficking, but what God did in her her life is incredible. The context is ethnic cleansing or displaced people from Palestine to Persia. So from what we now know as Israel, right across to modern day, probably Iran, Iraq area, probably Iran. And this ethnic cleansing is similar to what has happened to the Rohingya people in Burma, who have almost entirely had to run for their lives. They were ethnically cleansed from their homeland and gone to Bangladesh. And if they wanted to live, they had to run. We could see it with Jewish communities around Europe in the 1930s. We could see it with German people in the late 1940s. We can see it all over the world. You can see it in Bosnia and uh, the Balkans in the 90s. People were forced to relocate. The issue is that when someone is forced out of their home to run for their lives, you can carry with you a wound in your soul, in your head, in your emotions. And while you may have it together on the outside, there is a trauma. Not only is there an individual trauma, very often there is a collective trauma or a folk memory trauma. We're told in Ireland we still have something of that from the Great Potato Famine in the 1840s. But here we're looking at a people who were ethnically cleansed and displaced and they were forced to live far away from home. And so as they moved there, this young girl who we're looking at today, Esther, she probably was born in the city of Susa where our story takes place. But her parents would almost certainly have been uprooted and forced to move. And so that wound or that trauma would have been there for her. 
So into this context, I'm going to read the scripture from the book of Esther 1 and 2. This is an abridged version or the verses that I want to highlight today. So may God bless his word to our souls. And Cafe Church, you can throw up the uh, scripture verses now. King Zerez ruled 127 provinces from India right across to Ethiopia. In the third year of his reign, he gave a huge banquet or party for all of his nobles and officials. And for a full week, he displayed his wealth and splendor. After much drinking, he called for his queen to come before him to display her beauty to all his guests For she was incredibly beautiful. But she refused to comply and go to him. The king was furious. Later a decision was made to find a replacement queen. So the most beautiful young girls across the empire were taken to the palace And among them was a young Jewish girl called Esther. She was an orphan, but was raised by her uncle Mordecai. He advised Esther not to reveal her nationality to anyone at that time. Esther was put under the care of the head eunuch Haggai, who had charge of the harem. She began to find favour with Haggai, And he provided her with beauty treatments, special food, seven of the best maids. And he moved her to the nicest part or the best rooms of the harem. Meanwhile, every day of that year, Mordecai would walk past the harem to see if there was any news about Esther. In all this time, she never revealed her nationality because she trusted her uncle, Mordecai's advice. The context as well of this big party or banquet is that this king, King Zerez, remember he was only in the third year of his reign. He was still quite young and he was eager to prove that he was the man, that he was a man of power. And he made a mistake many young men make when they start off. He was overambitious and he thought himself a lot stronger than he actually was. And so just before this, in the second year of Zere's reign, he decided to invade Greece and add it to his 127 provinces, which were more like whole countries. And so he invaded Greece, but he was defeated in that battle. And humiliated and upset after his defeat, he decided to host this huge banquet or party to reassert to everyone that he really was a strong man, a man of great wealth and splendor, and everyone who knew him had to obey him. So King Zerez was here to do a big PR 
exercise, if you will. And also, according to the historians at the time, he was quite down about his defeat and he decided he needed a little little cheering up because he only had 127 provinces and everyone in the church said, oh, poor King Xerxes. I mean, 127 provinces isn't a lot, is it? No, no. I'd say Ireland would probably fit into one tiny corner of one of those provinces. Just get your head around it. India? Right across to Ethiopia? What a massive empire. And he's upset because his first big battle failed. And so his manhood and his reputation and his strength is all questioned. So as all of these top military officials and noblemen are making their way into the banquet, they're all whispering to each other, is this fellow going to last at all? Because he's really under a cloud after that big defeat. And so they make their way into the banquet or the party, and they start drinking, as we're told. He gave a huge banquet, and after much drinking, he called for his queen to display her beauty. Now, anyone who is Irish, and I would say most nationalities across the world, when there's a whole load of drinking, stuff starts going down the gutter. Isn't that right? If people are getting drunk, they lose control. If you're getting drunk... Or if you're getting high, you will lose control. My question to you is, who is in control then? Because if you're not in control, and you're drunk, the Holy Spirit isn't in control. So someone else is in control. You open up your soul, brothers and sisters. If you're getting high, or you're getting drunk, you open up your soul to other sources Don't allow the evil one to have a landing strip in your life because he'll land, he'll land, and he will try and steal and destroy what God has done in our lives. They're all drinking, and this is the time that King Xerxes decides to call on his wife, his beautiful wife, whose name was Ashti, sorry, Vashti. And so we're told he called on her, But the queen refused to go to the banquet and the king was furious, apoplectic is probably a good word we'd use today. Furious. Why did she say no? Well, part of it probably is that this woman knew There were a whole load of drunk men, and she's a gorgeous woman. She would have been one of those women who'd walk through a room and a whole load of guys would just turn their heads and their eyes would follow her as she walked across a hall or across a room. And she knew if she was going into that situation that she would be like someone in a meat market. Nobody would see her for who she is. They'd just see a beautiful woman and they'd see what they want to see. And she wasn't going to allow herself to be degraded anymore. So Vashti, this woman, the queen, decided to say no. Now, it's not that she was lazy or she wasn't doing anything. Back then, as is the case today in many cultures, men and women uh, socialized totally separately. She was hosting a huge banquet or party for all of the women, while Xeres was hosting it for the men. 
but they didn't tend to socialize in the same way. It's like some churches, some old conservative church, Pentecostal churches you can go into, and the men will sit on one side and the women on the other. I can remember going to Mass as a child with my grandfather, and because his wife had died, he was a widower, he had to move. You see, in Mass before, the men, the single men were on one side, the single women on the other, and in the middle, the families would sit. And my grandfather, when his wife died, moved back to sit with the single men. And because I was a boy, I remember going to Mass with him, and I remember being brought over to that side as well. Well, it's something like that, only a lot more. Think of Iran today, where men and women socialize differently. So she refuses to go to the banquet. She didn't want to be degraded, but can I suggest to you that there was something more going on here? That God had a plan for a greater purpose and God was moving on this woman's heart because she was about to be moved out of the way of everything. And maybe God is going to move someone out of the way in your life, even today, who stands in the way. So Queen Vashti, and you'd have a lot of sympathy with her, decided to say no. And there was a huge discussion after the king was furious and the discussion was... King Zeres, if you don't sort her out, all of the wives will get it into their head that they can say no to their husbands. And we can't have that, can we, brothers? <laughs> Go on, you cowards, the lot of <laughs> Sometimes wives have to say no. Do I hear an amen from the sisters? Oh, you're very submissive today. Mm. It's just a gentle little amen, baby. Mm. <laughs> so they didn't want anything to happen. And just think of this young king, Zeres. He is wounded in his ego after losing the great battle. He knew all of the nobles and officials were talking behind his back. And now his own wife won't even come up when he's there in front of everyone. He is deeply humiliated. Deeply humiliated. And he is not at all happy. And so the scripture tells us, and I don't have time to go into it today, that they decided to move Vashti aside, and he decided to find a replacement queen. And so word was sent out all over the empire, from India right over to Ethiopia, throughout the Middle East, all of these nations we know today, to find the most beautiful girls. The historians say that there was probably tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of the most beautiful girls rounded up like cattle, from towns and villages all over, and then they began to whittle it down and choose who was more beautiful than the other girl. And the Jewish historian Josephus suggests that there were four to five hundred girls who went through all of these processes where they choose who was the most beautiful, who had the nicest figure, etc., etc. And the scripture tells us among all of the most beautiful girls to be taken to the king's palace was Esther, a Jewish orphan who lived with her uncle Mordecai. It's really important to know, Esther didn't choose this. None of these girls choose it. 
So we have a famous festival in Ireland at the end of August called the Rose of Tralee. It's kind of Ireland's beauty queen thing, but it's not one of those really uh, rough beauty queen things. Um, but everyone who goes there chooses to be there. And it's, uh, it's really based upon your personality and your, your um, ability to do stuff like play an instrument or tell a funny story and all of that. But get the Rosa Trilly out of your head when you're thinking of Esther being a beauty queen, okay? Because she didn't choose it. None of the girls choose it. This was not a democracy. It was a dictatorship. Women were treated like almost just one step above animals. And this gorgeous young girl was treated as if she was like an animal. So she was taken, having lived with her uncle Mordecai. And we know that her parents were dead. Perhaps they died during the ethnic cleansing of Israel or Palestine. Perhaps they died later on, but not only did Esther imbibe within her soul the national wound of the Jewish people who were ethnically cleansed and displaced over to Iran and Iraq, but she also carried the trauma of anyone who lost their mum or their dad when they were a child. So she had two wounds, if you will, as a human being, trying to make sense of the world. And she would have only been about probably 15 or 16 at this stage. And she's trying to make sense of the world with all of these traumas. I would suggest to you as well that this young girl probably was wise beyond her years. And you meet that sometimes with people. I I call them old souls. They're quite young in age and young in body, but their souls are mature because they've known the reality of pain and loss as distinct from someone else who's 15 or 16, never had any trauma or pain, and their heads are full with things that 15 and 16-year-olds think about. But when you've gone through life like that, you tend to be a little bit wiser, and your personality and your attitude and the atmosphere you carry with you tends to be more mature and way beyond your years. However, even when we lose someone, and maybe someone today has lost someone, God will always raise up someone else. And God raised up an uncle or a relative called Mordecai. And this man clearly loved her, cared about her, and she clearly respected and loved him. So even though mum and dad died, and that was a tragedy, God raised up someone else. He is the God who is a father to the fatherless. Hallelujah. He is a husband to the widow, and he places the lonely in families. Hallelujah. So Mordecai, look what he does. He advises her not to reveal her nationality. That's really the same as saying, don't tell anyone you're a Christian. Don't tell anyone about your faith. And this goes against what we're going to look at in just under an hour's time. But he wasn't saying, never reveal it. He was just saying, not now. This is not the time or the place that you should reveal who you are. Because the Jews were appalling in most people's eyes. Because they believed there was only one God. That was appalling. And so the Jews, they didn't really know what to make of them. And a lot of people thought they should be exterminated from the earth. You'd think Hitler was the first one to talk about killing all the Jews. Oh no, there's nothing new under the sun. The same thing was happening here later on. So Mordecai was advising wisdom. And sometimes 
we go and we tell someone we're a Christian and we're open about it. And other times we bide our time and we go, I will tell them, but this isn't the time and this isn't the place. And that's what Mordecai was saying. So the young girl goes in there. She goes into the harem. If you don't know what a harem is, a harem is, I suppose you could call it a very luxurious prison where girls and women were kept for the pleasure of a wealthy man or a king or a ruler. And he wouldn't have been satisfied with one wife. He would have to have a lot. So again, we're told that the harem in uh, Susa with this king, he never had under 400 women or girls at his disposal. The mind boggles and I'm not going to think about it anymore. (laughs) So this is the reality of life back then. And it wasn't just kings. A lot of wealthy merchants had maybe smaller, but that's what a harem is. And a eunuch is a man who had his private parts cut off when he was around 11 or 12, so he wouldn't interfere with any of the girls. And so this eunuch that we read on, Hegai, he was a man, but he couldn't do anything so that's why they did that to them so that they could look after the women in the harem and we're told in verse 9 that in this situation Esther found favour with this guy Haggai she was given beauty treatment seven of the best maids special food and moved to the best rooms in the palace and we know from history they would have um, bathed twice a day in all kinds of milks and oils and so on. They would have put pastes on the girls' body, bodies so that after a year, all blemishes were gone from their skin. And their hair and their nails and all the rest of it would have been looked after incredibly detailed looking after. Why did they have to wait a year? Because the king didn't want to visit any of these girls because some of them may have been pregnant and he wouldn't want them to say well this is your child so he never went near them for a whole year so that these girls couldn't make a claim against him like that and so here is Esther a girl who didn't choose to be there who didn't ask for it who in effect was trafficked but look at this she starts finding favor with Haggai now Is it just because she was so beautiful to look at that he looked at her and he went, she's gorgeous, I'm going to show her favour. Now, you can make that argument. Personally, I don't think that's what was going on. First of all, remember, there were 399 other gorgeous, beautiful young girls in the same place. So she was one of many. It doesn't say her beauty was greater than than any of the others. The thing is, she would have carried an atmosphere with her, her personality and her attitude from her background that was different to the others, but deeper and more profound than all of that. God was working on Esther's life because she loved God and was a worshipper of God. Therefore, God's favor started to move upon her. It's incredible. And we see this historical thread woven like a golden thread through the silver of scripture. Right from the beginning, right up to the end of men and women of God who through no fault of their own are thrown in prison or in a difficult situation. Starting off with Joseph in the land of Egypt, going right up to Peter in the prison in the book of Acts. And God shows them favor, even though they're the same as everyone else On the outside, God is at work. And so Esther experienced the favor of God. I wonder how many of us here this morning 
have a prayer in our hearts. God, I need your favor. I need it for my life. Or I need it for my health. I need it at work. I need it with my study. I need it in my marriage. I need it in my relationship. I need it in my ministry. I need your favor, O oh God. Well, Esther received God's favor. It is a noble thing. It is the right thing to ask God that he would show us his favor. Amen. Amen. So Esther receives God's favor and gets treatment. She didn't ask for it. It was given to her. And she simply receives it because of the favor of God. And when we look in the early church, and again, this is another theme throughout the scripture, book of Acts and elsewhere, it tells us the early believers, they, they had the favor of God and the favor of men. And so the church continued to grow. You see, favor is quite a profound spiritual blessing that God gives to us if we ask him for it. And so Esther receives this, and we're told not only did she win the favor of this guy who was in charge of the harem, she won the favor of everyone around her, the other girls, the other eunuchs, and she ended up winning the favor and approval of the king more than anyone else. More than anyone else. I wonder, is that a selfish prayer? Maybe you work for a company and there are thousands working there. Or you're in a lecture hall in a university or in a school and there are hundreds of others. Is it wrong to pray, God, would you favor me? I'm going to follow you and serve you. And I pray you would give me favor above everyone else. I don't say anything wrong with that prayer. Esther received that favor and she wins the approval of the king more than anyone else. Praise God. And look what happened. So the king set a royal crown upon Esther's head and she was made the queen instead of Vashti. So she goes from the back streets of Susa, an immigrant girl who was an orphan and was traumatized. And yet God takes her from obscurity and he raises her to become the, the most powerful woman on earth in her generation. And what God did in her life after this is incredible. But I bring you back to the day that Queen Vashti refused to obey her husband, refused to say yes and go before King Zeres. What was Esther doing that day? Was she sweeping the floor or talking to her uncle? Or was she talking to the girls on the street outside? Was she cooking dinner? Was she reading? But when she was oblivious to what was happening, a woman who was very powerful was being moved out of the picture, almost like a chess player on the chessboard of life. The hand of God is moving this Queen Vashti out of the way. Little, little did Esther realize that day she was sweeping the floor that God was preparing her for something beyond her wildest imagination. That is the God we serve. Would anyone say amen? Amen. He can move us from obscurity. He can do life-changing miracles. And he moves Esther from obscurity to becoming the most important woman on the face of the earth. And in all of this, she did not sin. She was not proud. 
She wasn't haughty. Sometimes you can see ladies who are incredibly good looking and they have a pride about themselves that destroys their good looks because their haughtiness is repulsive. But when you have someone who has a genuine, humble heart, who is wise and who fears and loves God, no wonder the king fell madly in love with this young girl called Esther. And it was because of the favor of God coming upon her life. I feel God would say to someone here who's walked into the hall this morning and you know God is angry with you because you've done something you shouldn't have done. And you're asking yourself, how can God favor me? Listen to what Psalm 30 and verse 5 says. God's anger lasts only for a moment, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. Hallelujah. If you've messed up, you're in the right place. Make your peace with God and call upon God for lifetime favor. This is the promise of God. And we'll pray for that in just a moment. Finally, let's be reminded of Proverbs 8.5. Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. My prayer in just a moment, is that God would show me favor. I can honestly say, I have been favored by God. But I'm hungry for more. Not in a selfish way. But the more we surrender to God, the more his favor can come upon us. So brothers and sisters, that's going to be our prayer. A trafficked girl to becoming a queen And it was all for the purposes of God. If you're going to pray, as I conclude, for favor, just because you want to have a good time baby, mm -mm -mm, don't work that way. The favor of God is so we can serve God. The favor is like a byproduct of someone who wants to follow God wholeheartedly. If other things are number one, don't expect the same degree of favor. But if with a sincere heart you want to follow God, then pray for God's favor today. The worship team are going to sing that beautiful song, 10,000 Reasons by Matt Redmond, uh, an English Christian singer-songwriter. We're going to play it, but we're going to pray for the things I've said. I'm going to ask you to stand. Could we throw up the words of the song? The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. We're going to just sing the two verses we sang at the earlier one, Joseph. That would be great. We're going to sing the two verses. I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit to break the cloud in someone's life. We're going to pray that anyone who feels God's anger will have the faith to rise above it. And then we're going to do a a universal call to anyone who wants to pray for God's favor into their future today. Let's sing. It's like a prayer. The sun comes up. The sun comes up. 